Well, we're in Romans chapter 8. We're about halfway through the chapter, and man, do we have a lot to unpack this morning. Uh, I'm just going to tell you uh, immediately that when I started building the outline, I had high expectations uh, to cover all the way through verse 30. I had five points, and by the time I got done with point number four, I decided to not even start on point number five. So I have it written, but nothing under it, and I don't think we're even going to get to point number four. There is so much, not just in the book of Rome, but in Romans chapter 8 especially. And this morning, we're going to start in verse 18, and we'll go as far as we can. Uh, now, one of the most popular verses in the Bible is Romans 8, 28, which says, and we, and we know that all things work together for good for those who love God. And we love that verse, and we love to hang on to that verse and cling to that verse. Uh, and I do too. But man, the context leading up to it is so crucial and so important. And that's a lot of what we're going to be looking at this morning. Now, uh, how many of us can honestly speak of suffering from personal experience? Uh, I suppose it has a lot to do with how you define suffering. Um, the topic seems to be very relevant to your surrounding, to your experiences. Uh, and for, for instance, what some might consider suffering in the first world, uh, somebody in the third world might think is just a minor inconvenience. And I don't mean to imply that we don't know suffering in the first world. I know that we do. I understand that we do. And some truly do suffer. But when Paul is speaking of suffering in Romans chapter 8, and this is where he begins uh, our lesson today, He's talking about suffering directly related to the cause of Christ, suffering for the cause of Christ. And I have to admit that I honestly don't feel that I have ever suffered for the cause of Christ. I've, I've been inconvenienced. I've given up some things. I've sacrificed a few things. But I can't tell you from an honest perspective, I can't stand here and tell you that I know about suffering. I, I just don't. I've had a tremendously blessed, blessed life. Fortunately for you and for me, God and the Holy Spirit didn't call me to write Romans chapter 8. He went to somebody much more experienced, the Apostle Paul, and we're going to hear from him this morning. He's going to begin our lesson, and he's going, he knew a lot about suffering from a very personal standpoint and suffering for the cause of Christ. So as we open today's lesson in Romans chapter 8, verse 18, Paul will begin with a discussion regarding suffering in the present world. So let's take a look at the scripture in Romans chapter 8, verse 18. We'll begin there and begin reading, and we'll go down through, and then we'll come back and look at our, our comments. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to, to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. Because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pains together until now. Not only that, but we also, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves, 
grown within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. For we were saved in this hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one still hope for what one sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. Likewise, the Spirit also helps our weaknesses. For we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called. Whom he called, these he also justified. And whom he justified, these he also glorified. So Paul begins talking about present suffering, suffering in this present world. And, and it occurred to me, if we were to turn back to Acts chapter 9, we're going to do a lot of turning in our Bibles this morning. Now, where's my, there's my experience table back there. Uh, that's my friends. That's my crowd back there, the most experienced people we got in the room. And they drive, they're like me, they drive the old standard shift Bible, the old manual. Uh, well, I got some up here, too. A lot of y'all have them supercharged Bibles where you just hit the button and it goes right to it. So we'll spend a little time flipping back and forth and you supercharge. You'll have to wait on us to turn the pages and get caught up. But if we were to look back at Paul's calling in Acts chapter 9, verses 10 through 16, uh, we would see that when, when God called Paul, when Jesus approached him on the road to Damascus and, and, and then sent a disciple to him, to talk to him, he, he told the disciple, go to this man, Paul, you know, the guy that kills all the Christians, you know, <laughs> I want you to go meet with him and, and then tell him how much suffering he's going to have to endure as a part of the ministry. Now, well, what if when we invited people to this Sunday school class, we said, we want you to come to Sunday school and by the way, there's a whole package of suffering we're going to unload with you. <laughs> And it's not just listening to the guy that's teaching. There's actual suffering that's going to go on, and that's a part of your calling. And, and this, was a very, this is a very real thing for Paul because from the very inception of his call to be an apostle, it came with this promise of suffering. I, I don't know that that happened with any of the other apostles. They all suffered, every single one of them. They all sacrificed. But with Paul, it was just right out. It's like, hey, you're going to be called in this ministry and here's what comes with it. It's a whole package deal. So we see that Paul knew the promise of that suffering from day one. And, and then suffering was a day-to-day -day reality for Paul in his ministry. I wrote down just a few of them. I'm going to share the list with you. In Acts chapter 9, verse 10, uh, 10 through 16, again, it was a part of his calling. And then in the same chapter, verses 23 through 25, the Jews of Damascus plot to kill Paul uh, for proving that Jesus was the Messiah. Uh, so Paul had this gift of, of, uh, of dissertation, and he had the legal mind, and, and he would go in the temples, and he would literally prove that Jesus is the Messiah, the one that they were waiting for, and they missed, and they hated him for this. 
And so from the very first part of his ministry, they begin this plot, this organized plot, by the way. Do you understand that they sent uh, a council around from city to city following Paul to destroy him? I mean, that was their main mission in life, much as was his mission to destroy the church. In Acts chapter 13, verse 15, uh, he was rejected and persecution was brought against him and Barnabas at Antioch. In Acts chapter 14, verses 5 through 6, a violent attempt and stoning was planned for Paul and Barnabas at Iconium. In the same chapter, verses 19 through 20, Paul was stoned to death by a stirred up multitude at Derby. In Acts chapter 16, verse 16 through 40, Paul and Silas are beaten with rods and imprisoned at Philippi. In Acts chapter 17, verse 32, Paul is publicly mocked at Athens for teaching the resurrection of Christ. In Acts chapter 18, verses 11 through 15, Paul is arrested at Corinth. In Acts chapter 20, verse 23, the Holy Spirit <coughs> reveals that chains and tribulations await Paul where he's headed. In Acts chapter 21 through 22, Paul is thrown from the temple, beaten by a mob that intends to kill him. He's arrested by the Roman guard and barely escapes scourging. In Acts chapter 23, verses 11 through 22, in Jerusalem, a Jewish council of 40-plus leaders in the Sanhedrin take a vow to neither eat or drink until they could kill Paul. In Acts chapter 24 and 25, Paul remains under arrest and stands before Felix and then Agrippa. In Acts chapter 27, Paul survives a storm and is shipwrecked as a prisoner of Rome. In Acts chapter 28, Paul is delivered to Rome um, in chains and will live the rest of his life as a prisoner in Rome for the sake of the gospel. Paul knew suffering. And I take the time to share all that with you, and I know that's not new information, but it is Paul who writes verse 18 and says this, I consider that the suffering of this present time is not even worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Now, had I written those words, it wouldn't mean a whole lot because I don't know that much about suffering. But when Paul writes this, he knows whereof he speaks. Paul knows suffering. And in the midst of that, and under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God, he says that the sufferings of this world, this present time, are not worthy to compare with the glory which shall be revealed in us. He didn't say within himself. So he's not just talking about his own suffering. He's talking about all the suffering in this present world for all the believers that are suffering. And note what, how, he, how he stated that it, it's not the glory that's going to come. It's the glory which is going to be revealed in us. What does that mean? It means the glory is already present. You understand you all are glorified? You, there's glory within you. It's just not revealed yet. It's, and, and this, and, and he's, not just, he's not just throwing uh, pixie dust at us to make us feel better. The, all the arguments that build upon this reveal this is truth. There is glory within the believer that is not revealed yet. It's already there. It's a promised glory. It's an inherent glory. It's there, but it, it's not revealed that yet. And that's why later on he talks about the hope. The hope that's not seen yet. 
So uh, Paul recognized the value of suffering. We saw that back in Romans chapter 5, verses 3 through 5. Let's turn back there uh, very quickly. Romans chapter 5, just a few pages back. And Paul wrote this and all of that, but we also glory in tribulation, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, and perseverance character, and character hope. Now hope does not disappoint, because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. So, so Paul recognizes the value of all this suffering. And, and folks, if you're suffering... Today, if you're suffering in this life, if there's suffering going on that maybe I'm not even aware of, maybe you suffer more than I do. Maybe some of you suffer for the cause of Christ that I'm not aware of or, or will in future days. Understand this. Paul, the one who knew suffering, understands the value of this and says, hey, hang in there. The suffering that you're going to have to go through, the things that you're going to have to endure it's not even comparable to the glory that's going to be revealed. We're going to talk about some of that glory. That's where this lesson's headed. And this is why Romans 8, 28 is true. Because all these things, remember that? All these things work together for good. So when Paul says that, he's got to include the suffering. All this list I just read to you, you think that, that list, you think that was a fun list for Paul? You think he wanted to be beaten, stoned to death, all those things? Of course not. Yet, for the cause of Christ, it was worth it. And, and he said all these things, even the suffering, is going to be worth it. It's going to come together. God's going to bring this together. And that's the context of Romans 8, 28. Lest we skip over that part. It, it's very easy to skip over that part and dwell on the, the coming together. The, the good part of that, see? So Paul understood about present suffering. And then, verses 19 through 23, there's an expected revealing. Uh, in in uh, verses 19 through 23, I'm going to read those again. Uh, For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. And I love that it says it's the creation. It, it, it's this whole idea of the whole creation is eagerly eagerly waiting on this eagerly waiting on this this expectation see uh understand there's going to be a new earth in all its glory now we see that in revelation we'll take a look at that in just a moment but i want you to turn back to uh, genesis chapter one the very beginning genesis chapter one And we're just going to take a quick scan of Genesis chapter 1, the, the story of creation. Then God said, in verse 3, that to be light, and there was light. And God saw the light, that it was good. And the end of that verse, that was the first day. And then you skip down to verse 8. And God said, and God called the firmament heaven, so that the evening and the morning were the second day. And then God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together in one place and let the dry land appear. And so it was. And God called the dry land earth and the gathering together of the waters he called the seas. And God saw that it was good. 
You skip down to the end of verse 12. And God saw that it was good. So the evening and the morning were the third day. You skip down to verse 18. And God saw that it was good. So the evening and the morning were the fourth day. And then you skip down uh, to uh, verse 21. So God created the, the great sea creatures and everything that moves with which the waters abounded according to their kind and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. End of verse 22, that was the fifth day. You go to the end of verse 25, and God saw that it was good. You go to the end of verse 31, and God saw everything that he had made, and indeed, it was very good. So, over and over again in the creation story, God creates. He steps back. He looks at what he's created, and he says what? It is Good. Now, every once in a while, in my garage, I'll fix something. Not often, but every once in a while. And I'll step back and I thought, that's pretty good. I like that. I done good. And when I say that, all it really means is it didn't fall back apart. Or it's not spraying water out. Or it's not dripping oil all over the place. It, it, it's good enough is what I'm saying. Because about the, that's about the level of my abilities out there. Usually there's a lot of uh, loud talking. A lot of banging. Maybe some things get thrown in frustration. Uh, I reach for a larger hammer to hit it harder and longer because it's not fitting the way I want it to fit. So when I say it's good, it's really just good enough. But we're talking about the perfect, all-knowing, all-powerful, all-seeing God. And when he says something is good, what does that mean? Perfect, infallible. God created this world and it was good, ladies and gentlemen. I mean perfect. And then what happens in Genesis 3? Sin enters in. Corruption begins. Corruption begins. Think about that. And, and we all have examples of that. I can show you pictures of when I was a cute, round, cuddly guy with perfect skin. <laughs> and probably more hair than I have now, even then. And, 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 and from day one, guess what happened? The process began, and this is, what, this is where we're at so far in the corruption. <laughs> and y'all can laugh at me, but you all got those pictures of yourself at home, too. The corruption's ongoing, and that's the same with this world. Genesis 6 comes along, and God sends this flood. And we don't have time to go into it, but this world gets wrecked. It's on a path of corruption and destruction. This world is deteriorating. Now turn to Revelation chapter 21. Revelation chapter 21. And we're going to look at verses 1 through 3 to begin with. I went too far. I'm in concordance. Page 3. 
Everybody there? Read it with me. Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth passed away, and also there was no more sea. Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. Folks, this earth is going to be recreated. Heaven's going to come. New Jerusalem's going to come down. This is not metaphor. These things are going to happen. This earth is going to be recreated, restored to a perfect state, and we're going to be a part of it. I told you Heather and Josh are with us uh, this weekend, uh, and, and Heather and Josh are they're professional travelers. If we go on a trip, I'm like, okay, as long as we got plane tickets, we'll figure out what to do when we get there. I mean, it, you know, we'll just, we'll find stuff to do. We're not, but no, they can plan things, and, and especially Josh, he's great at scheduling and looking ahead maybe a year or two in advance and getting the best tickets and uh, arranging for the best tours and all these things. And those are, and, and, and I admire them for it. That's exciting. But you know what they got to do when they came here this weekend? Heather and I were raised in Coleman, Alabama, and in, 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 in Vinemont, and places, and, and we enjoyed growing up. Our grandmother and our mom would make fresh vegetables out of the garden, and my granny could make these little potatoes, new potatoes, and like a cream sauce, and they were plump and had a warm cream sauce all at the same time. It's like a hard, a salt potato and a mashed potato. It, it, I can't describe it. It's just good. And okra and peas and sweet corn fresh out of the garden and hot cornbread. <laughs> Y'all hungry yet? And if you don't if you listen to this podcast and you're from the west or the north, you don't know what I'm talking about, so just bear with me. That's a southern thing. But they got to come over yesterday and just sit and enjoy that. And they didn't walk it, they didn't walk it. Hey, can we come in? No, they just came in. And if they wanted something, they'd just go to the cabinets. And we got done eating all that. And Lynn Lisa had ice cream sundaes for us with, from Bluebell and hot fudge and all this kind. And then I had a fire out back, and it was cool in the evening. And we, and we went out, and we sat by the fire and just shared and enjoyed. And we talked about the ministry, and we talked about each other. And, and, and Josh... Josh made fun of my hairline and stuff too, but but other than that, it was it was that's dwelling together. And did you see what it said? One day we're gonna dwell with Christ. And that's what it means. We're gonna get done with all this hustle and bustle and all this schedule and all this gotta do and gotta be and gotta arrange and we're gonna go up there with him and we're gonna dwell. We're just gonna go in and we're gonna hang out. And, and, and I'm doing this with a finite mind that's why I'm imagining as best I can. I know he's God, I, I get that. But I'm gonna get to dwell with him. There's going to be a marriage supper of the Lamb. We're going to eat. We're going to dine with Him. 
We're going to have time to speak and, and to learn. And, and not just him, but we talked to Josh and I talked to this last night. I, I can't meet, I can't wait to meet the blind guy from John chapter 9. I like that guy. He's awesome. And then we're going to meet the Apostle Paul. We're going to dwell with the Apostle Paul. And I'm going to ask him, what was it like to go from city to city? And then Paul's going to ask me, what was it like to have uh, smartphones and cars and the internet? And then Paul's going to say, why didn't you accomplish more? And I'm going to say, shut up, Paul. You don't know. You weren't there. <laughs> no, I speak as a man. That was fleshly. I, no, we're not going to say that. But we're going to dwell together. And we're, we're going to get to know it, one another. That, that's what it means. We're going to, verse 3 of, of Revelation 21, that's what it means when we're going to dwell with them. Not just going to be together, but we're going to, we're going to dwell together. We're going to eat. We're going to fellowship. We're going to love them. We're going to get to know on a higher level. Now, how in the world are we going to be able to do that? Well, verses 4 through 6. We're not, it's not that it's just going to be the, the earth is new and the heavens new. We're going to be new. And we talked about we started with corruption. We put on corruption. But we're going to talk incorruption. See? The glorified man in his newness. Revelation chapter 1, verse 4 through 6. Look with me. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain. For the former things have passed away. Then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Write, thee, write for these words are true and faithful. Do you get that? The God sitting on the throne said, This is true. John, write it down. This is faithful from me. This is not Spielberg. This is not Hollywood dreaming stuff up. This is what's going to happen, church. Verse 6. And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give of the fountain of water of life freely to whomever thirst. So he said there's no more pain. There's no more death. There's no more tears. Turn real quick to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. You say, how's that going to be? How is that possible? Because we live in these corrupted, finite bodies. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. I know you supercharged are there. You, you page turners with me? All right. First three verses. Dare any of you having a matter against another go to law before the unrighteous and, do not, and, and not before the saints? Do you not know? that the saints will judge the world? And if the world will be judged by you, are, are you unworthy to judge the smallest matter? Do you not know that we shall judge angels? You, me, if you're a believer, you're going to one day judge angels. Now what happened every time in the Bible somebody ran into an angel, what happened? Terrified, they fell on their face. You, often they tried to worship, worship them because the angel is such a glorious, glorious creature of heaven. And one day, you're going to be so glorious, you're going to judge them. We're not done though. 
this gets better. Look in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And when I, I redid the outline a little bit this morning, when I first originally wrote this, I just wrote the whole chapter down because it's so good. So you're going to need to go back and read the whole chapter. We're just going to look at verses 35 through the rest of the chapter uh, because it, it's just so filled. So Paul talked about suffering. He talked about our corruptible bodies, and he talked about our incorruptible, incorruptible bodies, which are to come, and that is described here, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. It's described in the whole chapter, but it's emphasized, verses 35 through the rest of the chapter. But some of them will say, how are the dead raised up? And with what body do they come? I love Paul. Foolish one. What you sow is not made alive unless it dies. I started to bring you a, a, a piece of seed corn from my garage and show it to you. It's just a dried up old kernel. It's got some pink stuff on it to keep the bugs off of it. It's just a hard, dry, dead kernel of corn it's dead you know what i did to get all that sweet corn that we ate yesterday what do you do with dead stuff you bury it and that's what i did i buried that stuff i put it in the ground and buried it and you know what god did with it he sent the sunshine and the rain and that thing busted open and sprung into life and resurrected into a green stalk that put on ears of corn that grew and matured, and they became, uh, last night we'd have told you they were glorified because they were good. <laughs> they were sweet and tender and juicy. That's, all around us, we got miniature examples of the same thing he's telling us, the same thing written in Scripture here. Let's read on. Verse 38. But God gives it a body as he pleases, and to each seed its own body. All flesh is not the same flesh. But there is one kind of flesh of men, another flesh of animals, another of fish, and another of birds. There are also celestial bodies and terrestrial bodies. But the glory of the celestial one is one, and the glory of the terrestrial is one. There is one glory for the sun, another glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars. For one star differs from another star in glory. I, I thought this morning, how did Paul know that? How did Paul know that all the stars are different? That's a side note. That's got nothing to do with what I'm talking about. I just thought that was cool. Verse 42. So also is the resurrection of the dead. So Paul goes through all these different resurrections of seed life, uh, animal life, planets, stars. He said they're all different, and God does that just at his own whim. God, it's no problem for God. This is a piece of cake for God. Verse 42, so also is the resurrection of the dead. The body is sown in corruption. He's talking about us now. It is raised in incorruption. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown in a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body and there is a spiritual body. Folks, that's true. Mark it down. This resurrection that we're going to experience, whether you do it by death or whether you do it by the rapture, is real. There's a spiritual body waiting on the believer. We're not going to be in these same bodies. 
And it's not just Bible, that's logic. We couldn't be in the same body, in the same bodies. Uh, those, those astronauts from NASA that go up there into outer space and do those spacewalks, you know what happens to them if their suit gets compromised in outer space? I don't know either, but it ain't good. <laughs> it's bad. Our new bodies, no problem with that. That's, that they, they can go right through that. See? That, and remember what we've been learning? When the Bible says something spiritual, that doesn't mean it's less. It means it's more. It, it, it's not intangible. It's tangible. It's real. It's of God. See? Verse 45, and so it is written, the first Adam became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. Put that in your notes, Josh. We were talking about that last night. However, the spiritual is not first, but the natural and afterward, the spiritual. The first man was of the earth, made of dust, and the second man is the Lord from heaven. And was the man of dust, so also are those that are made of dust, and it is of the heavenly man, so also those who are heavenly. And as we are born to the image of man or of dust, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly man. So just as we took on the image of Adam, we were born human, our spiritual bodies take on whose image? We're going to be like him, like Christ. Folks, we got to stop reading this stuff like it's metaphor. We're going to live this. This is the hopeful expectation. This is why Paul says the sufferings of this present world can't even compare with the glory that's going to be revealed in us. See, I already possess it. I got it. I didn't earn it, but I possess it. And one day it's going to be revealed in me, verse 50. Now this I say, brethren, that the flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, in the last, tr uh, in the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For the corruptible must put on incorruption. And this mortal must put on immortality. So when the corruptible has put on incorruption, and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought, uh, be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? O Hades, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through the Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain. Why is it going to work together? Because it's what you just read right here. It's not in vain. The, folks, this thing is going to happen. We're in corruptible bodies. My body's getting worse day by day. It's getting older. If I continue to live, I'm going downhill, I promise you. I, I don't want to be gross, but my, 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 one of my neighbors is a dermatologist. And from time to time, I've got to go see him and cut off things that shouldn't be there. 
because this body's corruptible, but I'm about to be raised into incorruption, into a glorious body, into a spiritual body, a heavenly body that's going to dwell together. And by the way, the incorruptible body doesn't corrupt, it doesn't deteriorate, it doesn't change. It's forever and ever and ever. So Paul talks about the present suffering. Then he talks about the, uh, the, uh, the expected revealing this incorruptible body that's going to be within us. And I'm out of time. He's about to go in verses 24 and 25 of Romans chapter 8. And we don't have time. We'll pick this up next week. The promise of that hope. We're going to talk about the promise of that hope. The process of prayer. And if we have time, then we'll tackle predestination. Yeah, I know. I know. And some of y'all are going to get mad. I should care, but I don't. <laughs> but I love you anyway, and I hope you love me. Get out of here. I'll see you next week. <laughs>